Okay, so... Hold on, we, we still have background noise. It adds to the verisimilitude that we have lives. Do we know? We have lives. I have a life. <laughs> I have a life. Shut up. <laughs> Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kersher and Wendy Bowlesby. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I'm Melissa, and my other co-host is... Wendy, hello! Hey! And we are here with DC comic book artist Christopher Jones! Hello! Oh. <sighs> yeah, the, and the crowd goes wild. Well, we have yeah. mentioned you a lot on the Ooh. podcast. And, and usually have. it's by saying DC comic book artist Christopher Jones. It, I, I should get that on my ID. Not like business cards, but like my. You're, I should legally change my full name to DC comics artist Christopher Jones. Yes. Would Christopher be your middle name then? Sure. <laughs> well, like I mean, if we were gonna nickname you, I, I well, I, at that point, I clearly need to make Danger my middle name. But okay, uh, so so DC comic book artist Christopher, Christopher Danger, Danger Jones. Jones Esquire. Mm. I yeah. like it. I like it. That's good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we will be first of all introducing our wine of the evening. Uh, it is a bola. It is from Italy. Or Italy. <laughs> I think that's called Italy. <laughs> it's, Italy. It, it's Italia. in Italia. I should be able to speak Italian better. I sang enough. <laughs> you you haven't drank song. enough to speak Italian. <laughs> Apparently not. It's a Sangiovese di Romagna. And uh, we're letting it breathe a little bit. It's yeah. uh, it, It's got a little bit of a tang to it, but I think uh, give it another 10 minutes and it's going to be lovely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's the, a lovely, The label lovely was very dark. pretty. I yeah. liked the label. Yeah, it's a very lovely dark red. I like looking at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's pretty. That's, that's nice. Pretty. That's almost as pretty as that claret we had that one time. But. Oh, that claret was yeah, lovely. Yeah, I think and I Jones. I, Jones. I'm drinking an Angry Orchard uh, hard cider. It's sinful apple. That's sinful with a C. It's a pun, you see. Uh, because they're because of the cinnamon accents, uh, I'm told it's a seasonal. Uh, this I did not need to breathe at all. It was ready to go straight out of the bottle. Mm, mm. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. Um, I may be uh, switching to diet coke later in the evening, but for now, this is this is a lovely starter drink. <laughs> Okay, so, so listeners, by the time you hear this, God knows when it'll be. But just last week, Godzilla opened. Godzilla! Godzilla! Go, go, Godzilla! Well, and not just opened, a $200 million opening weekend. Was it, it that much? I oh, thought yeah. it was so it not did quite pretty that okay. Well, well, let's... Glo- glo- well, a $200 million. Oh, I forget now. Is that domestic or global? It did so well that by like Monday they they greenlit the sequel. So I mean, well, it's, yeah. it Godzilla stumped on the box office, uh-huh. and I think X Men is going to do well. But you know, even even with uh, the abs of Hugh Jackman, I think they're going to have a hard time competing with the Godzilla numbers. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. There you go. There's the sequel. Godzilla versus Hugh Jackman's abs. Okay. I well, I have money right here that I yeah, could give that to would, that. That would, <laughs> that would put butts in seats. It would. would now, would Hugh Jackman's abs be Godzilla-sized? Because that would also be okay. Okay, so we're, so we're kind of talking Godzilla versus King Kong here, where they scaled up King Kong to be Godzilla-sized, yeah, yeah. so he could... Could, it, could, yeah. could this mythical monster also have Chris... Hemsworth arms, <laughs> like 
Hugh Jackman's abs. Well, and well now we're talking and about Frankenstein conquers the world. Here's what happens. <laughs> it would be I a think, very attractive. I think he put together. I think he put together Hugh Jackman, Chris Hemsworth, perhaps Chris Evans, really like all the hot guys from the Marvel movies, uh-huh. and they joined together in like Voltron fashion and grow to Godzilla size. And, and then the last twenty minutes, they either fight or just make sweet, sweet love. I'm not sure which you know really is preferable. Both. Okay. Well, maybe it could be like Clue, the the movie Clue, where you could go to. It's like the movie angry. Theater. It's angry hate love. Yeah, <laughs> and and the ending you get is just random chance. Oh my god! Oh, that would be glorious. No matter how it, how it ends, somebody's getting spanked. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Melissa is a huge Godzilla fan. Huge. Godzilla. Godzilla. I don't know well, your Godzilla-ness. I'm I'm a big Godzilla fan. I don't I don't have quite the merchandise collection going that uh, that Melissa mm-hmm. has. Well, but, she's uh, the queen of the lizard. Well, it's true. So that's there's true. a necessity there. Um, totally. But I, no, I've, I'm a big Godzilla fan going way back. I I like different eras of the Godzilla films for different reasons. Uh, you know, because obviously there are some. Yeah. You, know, you know. So I mean, Godzilla, the the first one, uh, 1954 Godzilla. Or Godzilla King of the Monsters, as yes. it was known in the U.S. Um, was, With Raymond Burr. Yeah, With it's, Raymond it's Burr. easier to understand when you don't see the Americanized Raymond Burr version. What was a reasonably serious, scary um, monster film. With a but it remarkably, moral. yeah, but it remarkably quickly turned into a really campy children's series. Yes. Um, it, it only took then, a few movies to yeah, get there. Yeah, and you know, and it's uh, I've always been fascinated by the way you know Godzilla will vacillate from hero to villain to anti-hero and every other combination you can think of. But you know, you get to the later ones, and you know some of the some of the some of the later ones are a lot more serious, and certainly not anything approaching the the production value of the new film. But you know, the the effects were getting better. Uh, I'm particularly fond of uh, was it uh, Godzilla, Godzilla. Uh, King Ghidorah Mothra Giant Monsters, Giant Monsters All Out Attack, Attack which is like <laughs> I love how cumbersome the title is if nothing else and what's really stupid is there's four monsters in it yeah one, three of them get one mentioned. just doesn't get Billy yeah Baragon gets no, no love no love for Baragon no love for Baragon <laughs> Baragon's like my favorite because it it looks like a puppy dog and has a giant horn in the middle of its head that glows and it tunnels underground and and but, <laughs> But no love, you know. Well, you gotta love the idea of a kaiju that you just you see it and you're thinking squirrel. Yes. <laughs> um, but got so cute. But you know that one and and uh, was Godzilla Tokyo SOS. Yeah. You know, you're getting some more serious films that you know it's still man in suit and it's still you know the relatively limited budget of the Toho films yeah but certainly far removed from the days of like Godzilla's little triumphant dance I wish I could oh, convey God. it in the an dance. audio format here uh, but, but uh, we'll link it in the show notes oh there you go because I have an animated gif of it there you are and it is Goofy as but, well. But yeah, I mean, you know, I love the incredibly goofy ones, and I love the more serious ones. And so what was really satisfying about the new Godzilla film is, unlike the 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 Matthew Broderick abomination, although, I, you know, not that it was Matthew Broderick's fault. I blame everyone on that. <laughs> Sorry, Jin Renault. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, unlike that, I mean, this, this was a Godzilla that he looked like classic Godzilla. He like classic Godzilla, and the story structure even felt like classic Godzilla. Are we talking about the one that just came out? Now? Yes. I sorry, dear listeners, I wandered off, and and she is actually decanting the wine. I am. I, I say, have this because... got classy and shit. As, as the guest, I have to explain this to the listeners. Uh, listeners, you may think that Melissa and Wendy care about you, the listeners, and they do, <laughs> but not as much as they care about the wine. That may be true. <laughs> So you're, you are a you're a strong number two. You're a really strong number two. No, 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 no. They're listeners. the reason to drink wine. So it's that whole like you, you need a reason. No, 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 no. I'm going to call all of our listeners enablers right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they like it and they encourage it, so it's all their fault. Fair enough. <laughs> I actually own a decanter, and I was yeah. like, I never pull that thing out. I'm going to go get my fucking decanter. And that's ooh, exactly ooh, what it's ooh, for. Pizza's here. All right, so 
God, the decanter. Man, we, we've we gone all out. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, well, and look, it looks so pretty. It does. You're serving wine out of an Erlenmeyer flask. Yeah. It does look like, yeah, it does. Okay, now we need to go to Axeman and get a giant freaking Erlenmeyer flask, and that'll be my decanter. That's very appropriate. Yes. 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 Ridiculously yes. so. And I'm saying that in front of the recording, so I remember mm-hmm. <laughs> when I... So when you go back to it, you're like, oh, that was a good That's idea. That's right. Take, 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 take. But yeah, I don't think Godzilla's a remake. No, 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 it's not. It's another entry... In a series, yeah, yeah, and, I mean, and it's a series that's been rebooted over. And yeah, over I mean, you can't over. you can't say it's a sequel because the I mean, even though they did a nice job of suggesting that there was some interaction between Godzilla and the nation of Japan in the 1950s, which was nice. <laughs> uh, it was clearly not the events of the 1954 Godzilla film because. Mm-hmm. We would have heard about that. But yeah, so I mean, it's, it's definitely a reboot. But yeah, I don't know if you can call it a remake when it's been reinvented so many times I already. Mean, this is what Godzilla does. I mean, it's too small of a niche to call it a whole genre, right? So it's not another entry in a genre film. I mean... Well, it almost is it its own is. genre. Well, well I mean, kaiju I, movies are a, yeah. a genre. But if, and, if not for the fact that the different eras of the, the original... Toho Japanese films had had clearly rebooted, where they clearly you know clearly yeah. there's a break in continuity. If not for that, it would be tempting to draw a parallel between the Godzilla films and the Bond films, mm-hmm. where they keep recasting, and sometimes it's, it's more serious, and sometimes it's campier. Because yeah. like the campy ones, like those are the Roger Moore Godzilla movies. <laughs> yeah. And then this was like the Daniel Craig Godzilla movie. <laughs> is Godzilla going in for a kiss with a total fish face now. Oh, Godzilla. Oh, and then... I actually... With that... Oh, Roger Moore was an unfortunate kisser. Oh, oh my man. God. Yeah, and we have said this many times on this podcast. Because it just bears repeating. really, it does. But I want to hear the Bond theme for a Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. And not just the lady in uh, Godzilla versus Hedorah. So we need... So we need the opening where the circle comes across the screen and you see Bond walking out and then he like turns and like fires atomic breath right at the camera. Yeah! <laughs> or no, we could go the uh, Bambi versus Godzilla route and, yeah. and Bond aims and then a big foot comes down. Monty yeah, Python there's style. That. There's that. <laughs> much, much bigger. So big. We were, we were making jokes when we saw it about that there needed to be a credit cookie of, you know... Samuel Jackson walks out. Did you think you were the only kaiju in the world? No, I don't think... We're putting a team together. I don't think it's Samuel L. Jackson. I think it's the Mothra fairies. Oh, yes. Yeah, the the little box opens up. The cosmos comes out. And really, I love Carl Sagan, but I'm not that impressed. Oh, I, I want the crossover no. between. No, it didn't play. No, sorry. It All right. Play. Oh, it did to me. But they are called the cosmos. They are called that the is cosmos. what they are called. Is the cosmos? They, are, they, wait, are they cosmo singular and so there's plural? So I cosmos? don't know. They, they're Whatever. kind of a unit. Yeah. They're... Masura. Yeah. Oh, good lord. <laughs> okay. I I love Mothra. The more I see a Mothra, the more I love Mothra. I mean, I think Mothra is my favorite Godzilla adjunct. Because, I mean, Mothra started out as, as its own movie and then kind of wrapped yeah. into Godzilla and then passed out again into its own series of films and came back in again. And, God, the Mothra films are just freaking bizarre. They are. Although, I mean, to be, I, I will say this now, given that they have already greenlit the Godzilla sequel... The, it, it is not acceptable for ha- for any sequel to Godzilla that does not include either Mothra or King Ghidorah. It's got to be one of the two. Or Mechagodzilla. I would I... give Mechagodzilla a pass. But ideally... <laughs> I, ideally... Okay. I mean, Mechagodzilla and still a secondary monster. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I the mind boggles at putting Mothra through the the filter of the level of production and the CGI and the sense of scale oh, I know, that we right? have in the new Godzilla film. Oh my god, film. he'd be gorgeous. I mean, those well, wings would unfurl. sorry. Yeah. The wings would unfurl and then they'd flap and then, oh, imagine the fun they could have with the wind that was generated. Uh-huh. Oh, it'd be so and much fun. all the glitter. Yes. And, and the film would pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> 
although we may not have to worry about any of this because apparently the, uh, the the director said that his preferred sequel would be some take on Monster Island. I'm good with that. Yeah, I would be really good with Monster well, Island. I really appreciated the world they set up. Yeah. I really liked the backstory they created to give it context, to make that connection to the previous films, and also still tie it thematically to what the Godzilla films were about. N- which nuclear is horror. Mm-hmm. Nuclear horror, but, and also you need to respect nature or nature's yep. going to kick your fucking ass. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in and, and what... What strikes me as super fascinating about this huge series of Godzilla movies, you know, dating back to 1954, it, there are 28 Japanese Godzilla films, and then all of their offshoots. <laughs> and but, I think I saw all of them on Saturday afternoon matinees. <laughs> I'm sure I did too. But as they progress through time, through Japanese, you know, Japanese cultural history, the fact that Godzilla is sometimes a villain, sometimes a hero, the Godzilla movies tend to be kind of a barometer of what's happening in Japan at the time, mm-hmm. and kind oh, of how yeah. Japan feels about itself. Because the first one in 1954, the country is still reeling from the World atomic bomb, and, yeah. and and they're very, oh, woe is us, this huge natural disaster born of the atomic bomb is going to kill us all and mm-hmm. we're, we're never gonna yeah. win we, we are yeah, never it, gonna win god it, hates us yes and and the only way to solve it is this terrifying thing called the oxygen destroyer but as as it progresses the monster becomes a, a protector and you know they're starts to become this weird kind of military fantasy that japan has this super awesome secret mega, weapon mega science yeah. military and which they kind of didn't have but it, it's it's fascinating to watch all these films I, i've been watching them all over the last year right in order and kind of seeing how they progress through time it's it's a well, fascinating well, I mean, thing any series of films it's fun to watch how it progresses and mm-hmm. how when you watch them as a as a whole uh-huh. as a whole body that you start to see how the parts interplay like when i watch the bond films and it's like oh <laughs> wow you can totally see that um Goldfinger was a hit because the next film has amazing production value. Yeah, they, oh, yeah. they opened the fire hose of money on the budget. Yeah. Yeah, and so those sorts of things that play out in the series are always sort of fun to pick apart. Oh, yeah. But then also when you start to consider the sociological aspects. Sure. Like, what, what, what was going on that they thought this was a good idea for a oh, story? Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, you get into... Um, was it late 60s, early 70s that Godzilla versus Hedera? Yeah. Godzilla versus the Smog Monster comes out. So it's it's this weird thing born of the flower power generation where you have a nightclub filled with ladies in body paint and go-go boots and animated sequences and a monster that's made out of smog and industrial waste and pollution. <laughs> I love that movie. I pieces. fucking... It, it's kind of terrible, but oh god, I love it. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a fever I dream. I think you love it because it's terrible. Let's, well, 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 yeah, yeah, But yeah, it's yeah. got like one of the all-time great big fights at the end. It's, it's true. It, I mean, it really... It's true. As trippy and... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great Godzilla movie that dropped acid right before right during pre- the previews running oh yeah <laughs> it just gets trippier as it goes <laughs> now if i if i were going straight for the bad godzillas i'd go into ba- uh godzilla's revenge which oh. is where minya comes in yeah <laughs> fucking minya that, i i had I, i've been i've been watching all the these scrappy Godzilla. do of the godzilla oh film. god no he's worse than scrappy do oh no 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 oh no get this so i i've been watching all these movies like every other week on Wednesdays. By I, the way, listeners, the wine has gotten better with breathing. It has. It's it's rather nice. But um, every other Wednesday, I've been watching one of these Godzilla movies with another monster film, and having a bunch of people at my house to watch them. And the the night we did Godzilla's Revenge, as oh. soon as Godzuki showed up and started talking, my friend Will pointed at me. Goes, get the scotch now. <laughs> Oh no, there goes Tokyo, go, go, Godzilla. Yeah. Roar, roar, stompy, stompy, roar. One thing I wanted to bring up, 
I because I came home from Godzilla, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I ate way too much popcorn. That's a that's a sign that I'm way into that. Mm-hmm. I kept putting the popcorn down and then being like. And then, like, mindlessly picking it up and, like, oh, I really enjoyed the film. But I came home and was immediately able to articulate something. And normally it might take me a day or two to process something about a film that, I'm, that I find questionable. Pacific Rim and Godzilla have the same problem. Vacant leading man. Oh, totally. And honestly... Even during the film, I'm like, why did you pick this guy for your leading actor? Yeah. Um, because it had just come up on Salon. Salon had just done, like, in the past couple of weeks, their whole... Um, they started with female actresses. Mm-hmm. Female actresses, duh. They started with <laughs> female actors and then did male actors. And they're like, let's be honest, no matter how great the, the characters, these actors are kind of terrible. Here's how you can tell. Do you watch them and say, can I guess what the inner life of this character is? And if the answer is no, well, can I guess the inner life of the characters around them? And if the answer is yes, it's not the writing, it's the actor. Right. And there are a number of actors currently in shows. I mean, uh, January Jones in Mad Men. Why does that woman keep getting work? Seriously, she's, eh. she is truly a Barbie doll. She moves, she poses, her li- her lips move, but nothing's going on underneath Well, and I, I think she's a good fit for her character on Mad Men, but I saw her pop up in X-Men First Class. I'm like, how did this Yeah, and, and she's Emma Frost, who is a badass, kick-ass yeah. character, and she's vacant. Yeah. And that's the problem I had with Pacific Rim oh, is I watched, yeah. and this, in Pacific Rim... The the girl, she's fantastic. She's yeah. fantastic, and of course, um, Idris Elba. Thank you. Yeah, yes, yes, that guy, the, the guy, guy with the weird accent. This, this. <laughs> who everyone else seems to know from Luthor, and I still love him and remember him from Ultraviolet, not the terrible movie, the excellent six episode BBC series. Oh, oh the yeah. BBC series is amazing. Okay, oh, listeners. Yeah. If you take nothing away from this episode except for this comment, go find the BBC TV series called Ultraviolet. You will not be sorry. It's only six episodes, yeah. and it will satisfy you like nothing else. And he was uh-huh. Heimdall and Thor, but anyway. Well, yeah, and, oh, I mean true. he's Heimdall, and yeah. that's where I was going to go next. Okay. But, so you've got you've got Idris Elba, you've got uh, the Japanese. I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but she's fantastic. And then you've got this leading man, and it's not that he's a terrible actor. He's actually far better than the guy who's in Godzilla. I'll agree with I will, that. I will give him that. But I would not be able to pick him out of a lineup. He's bland. Yeah, although overall, I actually thought the human element of the storyline of Pacific Rim was more engaging than Godzilla. I really like Godzilla oh, yeah. a lot, but I, I had a discussion with a friend over whether I like Godzilla better than Pacific Rim. And I like Pacific Rim a little better, but that's not a diss on Godzilla. It's that I really love Pacific Rim Mm -hmm. and didn't feel like... I was never conscious of hoping we'd get to the next monster battle sooner because I was tired of what we were seeing on screen with the human characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the human stuff in Godzilla is reasonably engaging, but there were a couple times where I'm like, I really want to see the monsters fight now. Yeah, yeah and the the main guy, this military he's guy, and so bland. maybe they were like, well, he, he should be stoic because he's a soldier. And, I'm, and I came home and I told my husband, this man is in the middle of the most amazing experience of his life. And there mm-hmm. are beats in the film that are blatantly pointing out this is an amazing moment for him, mm-hmm. both good and bad. Yeah. And he just sort of looks at it and moves on. And I couldn't help but think, what would the movie be like if you put in a charismatic actor? Well, yeah. Same script, same reaction shots, but something actually going on. Well, well, here's the thing. I think I think there there's a twofold problem in that. First of all, I think the the script needed. And one more round on the polishing side with the with because, the dialogue. The because, dialogue needed snap. Yeah, it was because they had Brian Cranston, and even Brian Cranston couldn't elevate the script. Well, they had and, and they he had, was working. Um, they had what's her toes? The yeah, wife. I yeah, love her. Um, Juliette Binoche. Juliette Binoche. I yeah. love her. Yeah. And the thing is, one of my measures she had nothing for, to do. Yeah, one of my measures of a movie is can I quote it? Is there a quote that leaps out? And honestly, for as much as I love. As much as I love Godzilla, there's not really a quote. No. And I, because I had just edited the Lex episode, I couldn't, mm-hmm. also couldn't help but think, why is it a man? Yeah. 
I'm trying not to spoil anything, but you know, if if the Juliette Binoche character and the Brian Can- Cranston character had been flipped, nothing would have changed. Nothing would have changed. Or why not a female soldier? Yeah, why not? Why not a female bomb expert? Yeah. Now, here, why not a female Godzilla? Because that because then you can fill Madison Square Garden with eggs. Shut up! Oh God! Fuck why you! Would you do that? Fuck ah! you for bringing that up. Ken Watanabe, yeah. who had, I think, three lines in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah most of it was just staring. Most of it was just staring, and yet Ken Watanabe was more engaging. Oh, yes. Yes. I He was standing on screen, and when he would just blankly stare, you could see shit was going on in there. He's right. uh, regret, concern, excitement, you know, all, these, all of this roiling around in him, and mm-hmm. as he's trying to tell them, no, just let him fight. Yeah. The best way to deal with this is he's a top predator. Yeah. Which is especially impressive because Ken Watanabe was not actually available for the film. He was performed by Andy Serkis and was on the CGI. <laughs> You're such a fucker. Yeah, fuck you, Chris. Okay, so before we move on from the, the human element bit, because I, I have seen a lot of complaints about there were too many humans in the film and not enough monster fighting. That's now, bullshit. That's one who's uh, never well, seen I, classic Godzilla films. Yeah, I, precisely, yes. right? Because the original Godzilla films, I, I posted this on Twitter and it got retweeted all over the place. It's like, to all the people who's, who are saying there's uh, not enough monster in the Godzilla films, have you seen the original films? Because there's like a sliver of monster fighting and yeah. then the rest is usually almost nonsensical human interaction. Well, the point I was going to make uh, when you were talking about the human component of the storylines in the classic Godzilla films is how wildly those vary. You have ones that are like following school children. Oh, God. You have ones that are these sci-fi elite military strike forces that are dedicated to having a response to kaiju attacks. Or, or good God, Destroy All Monsters, which has all the monsters in it, and most of the running time is about aliens and... People running around in yellow suits. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's interesting it's that... weird. And I don't know how much of that was just them trying to change it up from film to film. I don't know how much of that was chasing after what they perceived would be popular in the year when they were making the film. Mm-hmm. But it's remarkable how much... Really, the giant monsters are the only things that tie those films together. Yeah. The human components are just all over the map in mm. terms of subject matter. Yeah, there's like one of them that's a spy movie. And there's Godzilla's Revenge is a fever dream of a young child. Yeah. Which is... And there's the thing about mm. bank robbers. Oh, and... yeah. Yeah, the young child defeating bank robbers. I remember yeah. that. Oh. So it's basically Home Alone with Kaiju. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Have you seen the Mothra trilogy? Yes. The the 1990s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Batra. And... Oh, my God. Yeah. Was that a... Okay, so listeners, if you can uh, track it down, um, the the third movie has not been released in the U.S., but you can find it online. The first two films can be found together on one DVD on Amazon for $7. Mothra and Mothra 2, which were made in the 90s, they are some of the most batshit, crazy kaiju movies ever made. This is true. <laughs> it's, it, 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 so, like, the Mothra fairies, the, the two Mothra fairies have a third sister who's kind of evil, and and they they have their own, like, little mini Mothra to fly around on, and the evil sister has her own, like, clockwork Batra to fly around on, and they have their own version of Destroya. No, no, not Destroya, uh, uh. King Ghidra. Yeah, and yeah, uh, well, the, the, it's 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 bizarre. The, the Mothra movies always tried to have more of a uh, cyclical mythology kind of an element. Yeah, to kind it. of the phoenix with the, the yeah. death and rebirth. And, but but yeah, the new trilogy, I think, in an effort to like, uh, you know, crank that up a notch, just kind of went to crazy town on all the weird stuff they were. We're throwing in there. Yeah, yeah no, there's I, some weird-ass Indiana Jones things going on. <laughs> yeah. and Oh, my God, those things were amazing. I always... I, is it is it King Kong versus... King Kong. Is it Godzilla versus Mothra where you have the nightclub owner that, that had kidnapped the cosmos and was using them yes. in a nightclub show? Yes, it was. And I'm like, I, you know... I'm, I, actually, I'm pretty sure. It's either the first Mothra movie or yeah, yeah. Godzilla versus and Mothra. And I, I remember when I saw that one, I was sort of like, you know... 
I you know, I don't care whether these these twins are the key to stopping Mothra from destroying the city or not. Just the idea of like, well, yes, I have these two tiny sentient women <laughs> in a box at my nightclub as my prisoners, yeah. and. Everyone seems to be okay with that, and, except and they, for the heroes. And they have a song and dance act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, no, anytime, anytime, like, the Mothra element gets brought in, like, the, the crazy level goes up a notch. The other thought I had about the newest Godzilla film, in contrast with the unfortunate uh, Matthew Broderick affair, oh. um, is, you know, the, the Matthew Broderick film, one of the things that I, I guess I understood what they were going for, but I thought it was a misstep, was they were trying to... I think have Godzilla be the one extraordinary thing and the rest of the military and everything that you saw was a little more conventional real world um, except they had to resort to all this crazy stuff where it's like oh we can't find Godzilla to shoot at and oh it's cold blooded and our, our missiles heat seeking missiles can't lock on in spite of the fact that like that really wouldn't be a problem for hitting a target that big and there's laser guided bombs and all that you know like they, they, they like they had these lame excuses of why you couldn't shoot Godzilla given that any of these weapons should have been able to take that Godzilla down and it was so yeah. nice to go back to something where it's like, yeah, short of dropping a nuke directly on it, you just can't hurt this thing. It's just, you know, yeah. So you're already suspending disbelief that there's a, a skyscraper-sized dinosaur creature walking around. <laughs> just go there. It's what everybody wants anyway. <laughs> just go there. I find it interesting that, just kind of in a larger sense, I find it interesting that you can play fast and loose with science, but there's a certain line you cannot cross, or else it becomes hard for people to suspend their disbelief. Mm-hmm. And once when you get to the 1998 Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick American one, it crosses that line because you have Godzilla varying size and you know just all these stupid yeah. stupid things happening where like if stupid physics things right whereas if we really get into the science the new American Godzilla movie yeah you know you would not have a land monster of that size because it would just fall apart under its own weight and the streets and wouldn't support the, its the weight the streets and, wouldn't yeah. support its weight and you know all that stuff but at least on a superficial level the the level that you're watching a movie upon it reads correctly like the scale reads correctly the it seems to have a certain well, gravitas to the physics it's the difference between scientific plausibility and dramatic believability yeah. yeah and i mean they can say these creatures eat radioactive material and and you go okay that doesn't really make sense but you know what the hell because they don't really understand it either and as long as they're consistent with that throughout the movie it makes sense in the movie movie universe well i i always, i wish i could remember who coined the term miracle exemption but it, the the oh yeah 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 I, the, it, um, it might it might have was it dr jim Maybe I don't know the miracle exists. If it is, yeah. all all credit to him or who, okay. whoever it was. I, I think but it was Doctor James Kikali. I'm a big subscriber uh, in stuff I work on to the idea that you are allowed. Uh, you know, the term we're using is miracle exemption. It basically, you're allowed one conceit in your premise. Yeah. You know, giant kaiju exist and the physics somehow work. Or some people are born as mutants and around puberty they exhibit all manner of superpowers. Yeah. Or there is an alien that, because of our atmosphere, has these godlike abilities, but externally he looks human, and if you put on a pair of glasses, apparently you can't recognize them anymore. You know, all of these things, like, okay, you get, you get that one, but then everything else in your story has to flow somewhat logically from that premise. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't, then the the drama starts to break down. It feels like you're constantly cheating. It, you just have this constant succession of moments where you're like, but that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, you know, I thought this one did a really nice job with that of like, yeah, there's all kinds of goofy stuff that like the science falls apart immediately, but while you're watching it, it feels like, well, yeah, I guess that's how people would react if that happened. I guess that, you know, and yeah, really it has, I think sometimes more to do with human behavior than any kind of scientific rules. I mean, certainly the science is, is reasonably important, but it's, you can get away with a lot if the way your characters respond to something feels believable. Uh, so when are we going to get the Godzilla film where he's like human-sized and wearing a trench coat and a hat and going around New York City uh, in disguise? Well, yeah, you know, and, and for anyone that doesn't know, that's a reference to the uh, the nineteen uh, seventies Marvel comic of Godzilla. Yeah. They when, when for a while when, had the license, and among and and. and I had this conversation since the movie came out too. Of, it's a shame that Godzilla was made by Warner Brothers and Legendary because had it been Disney, that there would have been an outside possibility of Godzilla versus the Avengers. What? I remembered what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. The the physical effects versus CGI aspect mm. because um, taking Godzilla traditional Japanese Godzilla into CGI territory hasn't necessarily gone well before the Ameri- this American release of yes. Godzilla. The 1998 one certainly did not go well having a CGI monster. You know. Well, the reason it didn't go well with the CGI monster was not because it was a CGI monster. Precisely. It was because it was a shit script. And yeah. and that was a fine-looking monster. It just wasn't Godzilla. Yeah. 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 I mean, make a film, just don't call it Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was struck by how much, I mean, I know they were using a lot of motion capture for this, and I actually thought a lot of the man-in-suit movement really made its way into the film, because, you know, I really could imagine the human proportions sitting in that Godzilla oh, yeah. shape really clearly. Yeah. I, I, I love the... the Bouncyness. Yeah, and Godzilla's got junk in his trunk, you know. <laughs> yeah, just, there's some wiggle going kinda, on back there. Yeah, he's got it's got a lot of he's got weight. His his milkshake yeah. brings all the boys to the yard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, the one other point I wanted to make contrasting the new Godzilla film with the '98 film Aww. was another thing I thought was missing from the '98 film with their their insistence on a very conventional military is if I'm going to see the army fight Godzilla and all that kind of stuff and granted when they got into fighting Godzilla in the new film it was fairly conventional weaponry but that big thing that they had the creature in with the grid of wires and all that stuff like that gave me just enough of my fix of crazy military super technology yeah that i i felt like okay they kind of checked that box for me i'd like to see more in the next film now that they've encountered godzilla it's like they need to ramp up i want a nicholas cage film where nick cage is destroying las vegas (laughs) by the way listeners we have a studio audience now my husband has joined us so if you Hi. hear, I'm the Courtney this week. So if you hear random applauding, that's Chris, my husband, uh, Monty, not Chris Jones, DC Comics artist. Ah. Nice. <laughs> um, oh my God, is that Chris Jones, the comics artist? <laughs> Thank you. What do we think might happen in the sequel then? Well, I mean, you've already stated your needs. Well, as far as monsters, you know, if they do the, if they go with the director's interest in doing a take on Monster Island, it's it would be interesting to see what a more kind of realistic quote unquote take on Monster Island would be. Mm-hmm. But the idea of of seeing, you know, as the world starts to understand that these kaiju exist and what they are, trying to figure out it's like you know what what is a containment strategy for these things? How do you keep them? somewhere away from population centers like that could be that could be interesting oh, yeah it's like well the well, and the realization would be you can't so well, then then you develop all kinds of what is your kaiju emergency plan right <laughs> like it and and you would think that obviously cities on the coast would be the first but seriously shit can go down in minneapolis i think mm-hmm. some of those things have wings for mm-hmm. fuck's sake so nobody would be safe so Listeners, you should start considering what is your kaiju emergency plan. What would you do (laughs) 
if a giant winged monster like suddenly like flew over your city and decided that this was where it was going to build its nest. It, because it's important to have a kaiju emergency plan and then discuss that plan with your children. Yes. So that in case of a kaiju emergency, you're not having to like figure out what to do. Everyone just knows. Exactly. And you should rehearse it. Yes. Rehearse your kaiju evacuation strategy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have a kaiju emergency meeting point, you know, somewhere well away from maybe on the moon. What would you do? I, li- I would like in a sequel... I would like the idea, I mean, if we're going to go with um, sort of morality tales about the way we're mistreating the earth, I'd like them to address global warming and mm-hmm. climate change. I think that would be super fun. So, Biolanti. I guess so. <laughs> You're more knowledgeable about the terminology. If you describe the monster to me, or like, Hedera. Oh, yeah, I don't or Hedera, the small monster, or Biolanti, which is a plant monster that is partially derived from Godzilla DNA. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, okay, so Godzilla versus Biolanti, that that particular 90s Godzilla or late 80s, it, it wasn't all that good. I'd like to see it done right because I think that's a concept that that could have legs in this. Well, and it might also be fun. So, total subplot, but I would love to see scientists being like, okay, well, now that we know about this sort of ultimate part of the food chain, mm-hmm. right? The ultimate predator is Godzilla, right? What's some of the missing links in between? Mm-hmm. I mean, that might be kind of fun. Is is uh, Godzilla versus Destroya the one where Godzilla's going to go critical? Yes. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah. That's kind of fun. They're like mon- and- they're monitoring Godzilla's heat signature through the whole thing because basically his heart, which is like a nuclear furnace, is going critical and Godzilla's going to just fucking explode. And like and like half of the movie he's glowing from within. Yeah. It, it's like the world's most badass Godzilla. Uh-huh. I mean, that's the thing for as much as you enjoy Godzilla kicking a monster's ass, you're like Oh shit! The property damage that's happening right here. Would you even try to build San Francisco again? There was there was a very interesting article that came out this week by David Ehrlich about this Godzilla film, the American new American Godzilla film, being the first post-human blockbuster. And the reason his theory was that the reason that the human parts are so bland is because humans are completely useless in this scenario of Godzilla versus yeah, I mean, Muto. They they just get in the way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're 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 like ants attacking a car, I think was the, yeah, the analogy a, yeah, that that's a good analogy. And, and so, let's face it, Godzilla yeah. was a horrible monster in this because he probably is responsible for almost as many deaths and almost as much property destruction as Superman and Man of Steel. <laughs> Superman versus Godzilla. Yes or no? Depends on which Superman. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's there's been Supermans in the comics where he could have just you know dragged him off into the sun and that's the end. Yeah, but, but... I'm just I'm saying, would you go see a film? Oh, yeah. hell yes. Yeah. Although to be fair, if we were discussing earlier the potential of Godzilla versus the Avengers, I think at this point the DC characters are like stuck with Gamera. Oh, that's so sad. Well, yeah. Oh, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. No. <laughs> We should move on to the questions. The questions. The All right. questions. Question numero uno. Who are you? See, most people would have asked that at the top of the podcast. We're, Seriously. We're, you guys save it for the end. We I, do. I like the part where are, we just turn to you and ask as if it's a surprise that yeah. you showed up. Who are you? Well, are, who are, are you? Are you wanting like the philosophical response to this or just the basic biographical you know information? The way you choose to interpret it says a lot about you. Well, that's, that's very true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the you know the line I have in the, a lot of the bios I send out to conventions and stuff lately is is at some point towards the end I describe myself as someone that gets pulled into way more of my friends' creative projects than I actually have time for, <laughs> which seems to be one of the great truisms of my life. So I'll I'll put that in there. But yeah, the the but the, as far as the basic bi- biography. Uh, yeah, we, we were joked around at the beginning about DC Comics artist Christopher Jones. 
Uh, I have done art for DC Comics, but also Marvel and other publishers. And uh, is it okay to jump into your your second question as I answer? Well, the you first kind one? of yeah, kind you're, of you're yeah. moving into it. So, okay. question number two is, what, what do, do you do? do? Um, the the comic I am working on right now is called Parallel Man, which is a science fiction action adventure that I am doing for a new publisher based here in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota called Future Dude. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude. And, and it's really exciting because a lot of the um, a lot of the comics I've done in recent years, um, well, it's cool that they, they've been superhero characters that a lot of people know. Um, this is something I'm actually getting to help shape from the ground up as opposed to following somebody else's designs and, and, and kind of being a, a cog in a larger machine. So mm-hmm. it's really exciting. I'm having a good time with it. Well, and what else do you do? Let's see, you also write really good comedy scripts. Oh, thank you. And um, you help create Convergence. Yeah. And you uh, used to do Batman comic. I Well, yeah, among the comics wrote, I've done and, Batman. And you were on uh, Young Justice. Well, I, I worked on the Young Justice comic. Yeah. I, 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 that's, I, that's a Young no, Justice I don't, I don't mean to sound apologetic about it. It's just I keep making jokes that I need to get a t-shirt that says, no, I didn't work on the TV show, I drew the comic. Because that's <laughs> one of the more frequently recurring lines I have at conventions these days. Um, um, that, that's what Cafe Press is for. Yes, yes. No, yes. I'm aware of this. I've, yes. I've considered having that made up as a t-shirt. Um, Genuinely. Our, our third question is, what is in your dream person, personal pleasure dome? Like, if you could outfit a room, a, a man cave, or something, of all the things that give you joy. Well, I'm working on trying to get my apartment into that state, and I'm making right. progress. Uh, you know, I'll be closer when the uh, Adam West Batman series finally comes out on DVD later this year. Yes! Um, the thing, the thing that I don't have the power to acquire anytime in the foreseeable future is all the missing Doctor Who episodes. Damn it! <laughs> um, yes, yes, that would be in your personal be good. It would yeah. be. It would be. be good. Anything not like specifically viewing media. Uh, like, oh, totally. uh, well, obviously, uh, an unending supply of Diet Coke. Um, <laughs> I feel like a am, pizza am I locked? In, am I locked in there by myself? I mean, I can have friends well, over. You can totally can I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then there's definitely some kind of a teleporter or something or other, so that like friends can just show up on a moment's notice without worrying about how freaking far away they are. Oh yeah. Um, I, I, I'm serious. I said this, but it got lost. I want a pizza dispenser. Yeah. Right? You yeah. push a button, pizza. Individual slices. I want a pizza dispenser. So, like, basically, like the, the food dispenser from Star Trek, but just like specializing in pizza. Yeah. Pizza comes out. Yeah. Really okay. tasty and delicious. Oh, pizza. sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not just those well, no, gelatinous if, if you're going to have a magical button on the wall that dispenses pizza, you don't want it to be dispensing like Totino's party pizzas. You want the good stuff. Yeah. Although. So, when Although there really... is a time and a place for the Totino's party pizza. <laughs> it's true. Pizza. When you're really drunk, nothing yeah. is quite as satisfying as a Totino's Well, there's something about a pizza that you can like, just fold up and eat like a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's what I call a taco. Mm, exactly. <laughs> so I've got uh, uh, like a question 3A or Uh-oh. 3B for you. So I know you have all these Batman mm. props. It's true. So um, Chris does have the... Uh, like from the 1966 Batman series, mm-hmm. the the Shakespeare bust with the button in yeah. it and the the phone under glass. Is yeah. there a Batman prop that would be in your pleasure dome that you do not already have? that I do not already have? Yeah. Uh, what well, are you lusting at? Well, I mean, if 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 anything is possible, it'd be hard to top the freaking Batmobile. Um, that's good. That's good. That, oh man, you could turn it into like a seating area to watch movies in. Jesus. Uh, you could, but you know, I'd want to take that puppy out on the road and get it up to its full forty miles an hour. Which, which the, back <laughs> <laughs> the one from the Adam West Adam series. West. Yeah, the 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 one that the two bubble canopies and the yeah. The classic. Yes, that introduced the having the big afterburner on the back of the Batmobile, which they've all had since, but it was introduced with the uh, the Adam West version. Mm-hmm. All right, so okay. then the final question is. Make a recommendation for our communal pleasure dome. 
Something that you're like, you know what you should consider? You should consider this. It could be anything. Uh, It could be a beverage. It could be a line of clothing. It could be socks. Or it could be a movie or a YouTube video or a song. Um, well, given that, you know, it's hard to narrow it down to one thing, have you guys yet had occasion on this show to sing the praises of Fish Story? Not yet. Ah! Fish Story is an excellent film that our friend Cargill uh, shared with us. And it's very hard to sell people on because aside from the fact that the plot would be difficult to describe, you really don't want to give a whole lot away. It's because one of those, yeah. having it just be like, where the hell is this going? And having it unfold and surprise you is a wonderful thing. Suffice it to say, it's it's a uh, it's a Japanese film. I keep wanting to think it's from Hong Kong. No, it's a Japanese, no, it's Japanese. film. It's a Japanese film. Uh, they describe it as being about um, a punk song that will save the world. And I, I am not particularly a fan of punk music, but by the end of this movie, I wanted a recording of that song. It's true. Um, it's, it's a really great... If you like movies that like seemingly unrelated plot threads interweave with each other in unexpected ways, it is marvelous. Mm-hmm. It is, it's funny, it's smart, it's clever, it's heartwarming. It just it ticks all the boxes. It's like uh, a really sweet pulp fiction. Yeah, it, and yeah. It, it, and it is available in the U.S. version now. It wasn't when we first saw it, yeah. but it is I, available I had, now. I had to look far and wide to um, get a version from England when I when I found it. But it's, yeah, uh, it's by one of my favorite Japanese directors. He he has since gone on to do a film called Golden Slumber, which is amazing, and a film called A Boy and a Samurai, which is amazing. And yeah, it's, yeah, but it's, this but this one is like, called. Fish, F-I-S-H, Fish Story, and uh, highly recommended. Seek yes. it out. When Chris showed it to me, I think he watched me more than he watched the movie as I'm just, my face, and I'm like, what is going, what, oh, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, what? well, as long as we brought, the... as long as we brought up showing stuff to Wendy, the, the bonus one I have to throw in mm-hmm. is a marvelous uh, British educational series I recently discovered called Horrible History. <laughs> I've brought it up on this show before. I keep, oh. I keep telling people to just go, just go to YouTube, well, Horrible Histories, I'm, and enjoy. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad I brought up Fish Story first since that hadn't been brought up. Literally, I will. I will throw my my voice behind the recommendation of horrible histories. We're gonna paint the town tonight. Literally! Literally. (laughs) Yes. Do the patchacootie. The patchacootie. Oh, you said that. Now it's gonna be stuck in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Do, 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 do. Do the patchacootie. Do, 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 do. Do So, Godzilla. Yeah. So, (laughs) thank you for joining us in Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Yay! We love you all, listeners. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Say good night to our guests. Good night. Good night. Can you say good night to all of our listeners? Really nice and loud. Say good night. Good night. <laughs> I love it when you get shy. It's they so just unlikely. said good night back. I could hear them. Oh my goodness, that's creepy. What? <laughs> all right, you ready? God, you're getting big. What did he say? Uh, it's Chris Jones. You don't need to pay attention. No, it's, it's very true. <laughs>